And I wanted moms and dads to have the freedom and the permission to be able to pivot, to be able to adjust. Because as your child grows and matures, you need to change and adjust. And that doesn't mean we toss the limits or the boundaries or the rules. It, It doesn't mean that at all. Hey guys, today's episode is an interview with Connie Albers, who wrote Parenting Beyond the Rules, a wonderful book about raising teens with confidence and joy. You will surely love this episode. So sit back and grab your coffee and enjoy. Thanks for being here. All right, Connie, thank you for being here with us today. I'm super excited for you to spend time and and talk about our children, our relationships in these teenage years. Um... So thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Kelly, I'm happy to be with you and your audience today. Thank you. And I'd like to start with you just telling us a little bit about, um, you know, I know how many kids, your background, and and your story is so interesting because I myself has read it, but tell our listeners, you know, about your background and what's brought you to where you are today and all of the good things you're doing. Okay. Well, I am Connie Albers, the author of Parenting Beyond the Rules, Raising Teens with Confidence and Joy. I am a mother of five, and my children, we had five children in seven years. They grew up, and they went on to college, and they are all uh, now, you know, living life in their respective fields. And three are married. And what led me to write this book is, well, you know, what your listeners, you know, probably don't know is many, you know, many people aspire to write. Uh, that's often what leads people into writing because they just have this message or this desire or they they just love writing. And I didn't really have any of that. I was busy raising children and doing the work that I was doing. And for me, uh, my husband and I started working with teens as our kids started getting into those uh, tween years. We just, our doors were always open. We wanted our kids to always have their friends over because most of, uh, most parents don't want everybody else's kids in their house. They break things, they eat things, they make messes. And so we just said, you know, hey, the best way for us to get to know our kids' kids, our kids' friends is to have them in our home. So we would host all sorts of gatherings. We would do um, Bible studies. We would do camp uh, bonfires and we would have a game night. We would have movie night. We would just do all sorts of different events and activities. And the kids could always invite whoever they wanted. So we would oftentimes have a lot of teens. And during that time, I was, you know, raising my own children. I was listening to these kids and they would pour out their heart what what they wish their parents had known about what they were doing or what they wish they could talk about to their, their parents, but they didn't. They didn't because fear of rejection or that their parents wouldn't understand, or I'm probably the most popular is that their parents would get mad at them uh, or overreact and then ground them for the whole year. And I was making notes and I never realized why God knew why, but I just was making a journal and I would just write these things down. And I thought, Oh, I I don't want to be, I don't want to be a parent that my kids can't come to. I don't want to overreact when they say something and I want to have this relationship with them. Well, as I was nearing the completion of my youngest child's high school uh, graduation, we were about to turn the tassel and I'm like, oh, what's my next assignment going to be? And I heard this faint whisper, I want you to write. I'm thinking, what? Me? That's funny. I'm not a writer. And I just told the Lord at that time, if you you really want me to write this book, you're going to have to to do it, all of it, because I don't know how to write a book and I don't even know the, you know, I 
how do you do this? And, you know, he just went away. He paved the way for me. Uh, it wasn't a quick process because of, there were some extenuating circumstances going on in my family. It was a long process, but it was just the right process for me. The time was just right. And um, Parenting Beyond the Rules went through five name changes because I thought it was going to be one thing. So I wrote three different manuscripts. But Parenting wow. Beyond the Rules ended up being just, just right because that encapsulated the whole message of our journey through the teen years and raising these children from, you know, children that are completely dependent on us to adults who need to make wise decisions to navigate their, their life as adults and become the citizens and have civic civic responsibility and be responsible adults and be caring and compassionate. And then more importantly, that they have a relationship with us. So I gave you a long answer, but that's what led to this book. And it has been um, a big labor of love. And I have just had the joy of sharing it with thousands and thousands of families. So it was something that was uh, really created in 35 years. I love that though. And, and I have to say, and that's why I really wanted you to tell it because your words, because I of course have read your book and I'm reading your book again. Um, your words just really, even your words just then you telling your background, they really move me. Like they resonate with me. I, I, it makes me emotional as a mom because I want all of those things you're describing. Mm -hmm. And even hearing you talk about, you know, other parents, kids coming to you, I can see how easily that happens because we as parents get caught up in the rules and, yeah. and what are, you know, cause we think we're not parenting if we're not enforcing the rules. And, and I love the title of your book. And I knew when I picked your book up, as I read I, the first chapter, cause as I read it the second time, I had tears down my face too, as you talk about a story with your son and mm. I so related to it. And I just, I want your book in more mom's hands because I know that's what all of us moms want really is a relationship, you know, with our kids. So, so I guess what I'd first like you to say, and I love the process of what brought you there, but what exactly do you mean when you say parenting beyond the rules? I think sometimes you don't need, some parents don't know what goes well, past the rules yeah. <laughs> or what's behind the rules. I'm really glad you asked that question because what some parents will think is, Oh, she's one of those no rules. Um, right. And it's no, no. Anybody that knows me knows I really like rules and I like checklists and I like, you know, I just like all my little ducks in a row. Um, that's how you keep things in order and your home stays running smoothly until it doesn't. Uh, the purpose of parenting beyond the rules is pretty simple. We create rules, limits, and boundaries when our children are little. We, we do this to protect them. We do this um, out of our love for them. We do this because we're trying to instill character and virtues and our beliefs and our values. We're trying to teach them right and wrong. We want to teach them about natural consequences. I mean, obviously, if you touch the stove, you it will be painful, and we don't want that uh, to happen to our children. So we, we put up, we establish bedtimes and routines and baths and dinners and all of that. And it works wonderfully, and it's so very important. But what happens, Kelly, is as they start to grow and change, as your children, you know, you have a 14-year-old and 11-year-old, as, as you know, there is a point which all those things that, w that once worked so wonderfully, you know, 
you put them to bed happy and they woke up happy. Or they hit the middle school years and you put them to bed happy and the next morning they wake up and you think, what happened to my child? (laughs) Um, And instead of seeing what is right with our tweens and teens, all we can see is what's wrong with their attitudes or they're not responding the way we want them to respond or the way that they have been taught to respond. And it can, they can start pushing back on us and we react and we start, you know, using our authoritativeness to say, oh, yes, you will. This is my house. And I wanted moms and dads to have the freedom and the permission to be able to pivot, to be able to adjust. Because as your child grows and matures, you need to change and adjust. And that doesn't mean we toss the limits or the boundaries or the rules. It it doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, I just did a series on my podcast, Equipped to Be, on raising strong-minded children. Because, you know, if you have more than one child, you're going to have two different personalities. It's not likely you're going to have cloned children with same temperaments and likes and passions and everything. Um, And it's not very likely you're going to have many yous, although you might, but it's not very likely they're all going to be just like you. And so I, um, I just kept seeing more and more families and relationships absolutely shattered at the hand of unbending rules. And I'm thinking, you created the rules. You set the curfew. The curfew is 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. You set it. You can also adjust it. And that's where right. parents would get kind of uh, hung up. And that's just one example. You know, you and I could probably come up with a whole list of you know, load the dishes in the dishwasher or close the toilet seat when you're done going to the bathroom, if you have a son or, you know, any number of things. And what I want parents to consider is that as their child changes and they assume responsibility, then we can adjust the the freedoms. We can give them more freedoms, but we can adjust the boundaries or the limits or the rules because there has to come a point where these children are going to leave your home And they're going to step into society and they have to be able to function. We can't make all of their decisions or guide them and control them all the way into and beyond college and into adult life. So I want parents to understand that is that that is the primary goal is we don't want to destroy the relationship at the hand of unbending rules. We want our children to get to the tassel. You know, we turn the tassel and instead of saying to us, See ya. Thanks, mom. I don't believe anything you just taught me. Or, hey, all that stuff is great for you, but I'm not buying it. Talk to you later. What a brokenness. What a what right. a, a missed opportunity. You know, we've poured into our kids our whole life. We don't want to not have a relationship with them when they don't have to. You know, they're not forced to come home and see us. They're not, they're not required to be there on Christmas or Thanksgiving but they want to be there. And so I I wanted to paint a picture of possibilities. What can life look like when your children are 20 something? It starts today. So if what you say to me uh, is really important to you when your kids are, you know, 5 years or 10 years like for you Kelly, 10 years, you're going to have a 19-year-old. I know that's I mean 5 years. You're going to have a 19-year-old. Um and I know you're already thinking, "Oh man, I'm closer to that point than I was." than I am I to when I caught, you know, held them as a little baby, the time I can see there's, there's a finite time. It's not, it, it's, uh, it's not infinite. And no. when we start to think that way, we start to panic. Sometimes we start to choke. We start thinking, Oh, I got all this stuff. I got to teach them. <laughs> and if I don't get it done, no. <laughs> um, and that's why I'm trying to say in the teen years, 
Let's focus on building relationship, listening intently to your children, paying attention to their body language. Listen, when they, when they object to something, hear them out. Because um, there's two things kids need, especially teenagers. They want to be heard and they want to be affirmed. And out of all those kids, all those thousands of kids I listened to, it all kind of came back to my parents wouldn't listen. My parents didn't believe me. My parents would make fun of me. My, my parents would put me down. They would shoot my ideas down. They would tell me why everything wouldn't work. And I thought, besides food and water, kids need to be affirmed and they need to be heard. And if it's not by you and, you know, you and I, mom and dad, um, who's going to listen to them? There will be somebody. And my plea, Kelly, is please let it be you. Absolutely. And I, I, I love that. And I think that parents have to, um, it's almost, ha- I always say just opening your mind to the possibilities. Cause I think we get so stuck in our, our routine of what we're doing rather than stopping and hearing, like really hearing the words you're saying right now, like really hearing that our kids want to hear, you know, want to be heard. Yeah. And you said in in that about, you know, when they're older, and I think it's such a good point to envision, like envision being with your kids, like you said, at Thanksgiving, and envision them wanting to be there. And and if you think about how your life is now, how you can adjust it for that, so that like you said, they want to come back to Thanksgiving. And I've done that before, like actually taken myself into the future and thought, here I am sitting with my kids. What are we going to talk about when we talk about these days? You know, yeah. what, what will they remember? What, you know, how will our relationship be? And, and it really made me think about what I was doing day to day and how we were connecting, which, you know, we, like, like you said, being heard and, and affirmed. And I know that teens, especially teens, I say teens just because, you know, with your book and, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a it's a new season, like you said. Every season is so different. Um, you talk about, and you said a little bit then, what makes them pull away from us and what brings them closer to us. And you talk about this in your book. Can you give examples? Yeah, sure. And, you know, that we do or... Well, you know, God's desire is for us to have relationships. I mean, first with him and then with others. And so our children are naturally relational. Even the introverts, even the ones that you have to pry, you ask them a question, how was your day? Fine. <laughs> and then you have other children's like, how, do you, how was your day? Oh, mom, you would never believe what happened today. Um, and so I have some of both. And, and so in the book, I do talk about, you know, how do you ask the right questions to get those children that love one word answers. Um, how do you get them talking? So I do give suggestions on that, but you know, so often kids start to push back when they don't, when they feel like they have no control. I mean, nothing is in their control. I mean, and you think about it, they didn't choose the house they live in. They don't, they didn't really get to choose the bedroom that they get to sleep in or the bed that they sleep in. Um, they don't get to decide what necessarily they want to study because they have to study subjects in school and they're not all their favorites. Uh, they don't get to usually decide curfews and uh, all, all, you know, just a litany. They don't, they don't decide the zip code. They don't decide their school district. You know, they didn't get to pick who their mom and dad would be or their grandparents or, you know, the neighbors. And so, so much when we start to think about how little control they have and the natural desire to control um, can create conflict and stress. And so one of the reasons children, especially teens and tweens, start to push back is they have their own ideas. And 
and they want their they want their ideas again heard and they want the opportunity to try and necess- they don't necessarily think they're going to fail um, they kind of learn that they they might face plant a few times or make some bad decisions but one of the things that happens is if if you get into this battle with your kids where you tell them what to do and then they have to do it and you've decided how they're supposed to do it when they're supposed to do it where they're supposed to do it and they may have a different idea then what happens is they view what you're telling them to do as you're trying to control them and then when they say i don't think so then you take and they may not actually say that but in their heart they may be thinking you and what army's going to make me do that <laughs> so right. you you then they react and mom and dad takes that as oh you're rebelling you're you're not being obedient and i'm just saying to parents wait let's just step back let's change that conversation just a little bit let's not look at this as a control or rebellion issue let's approach this a different way and and that being hey listen we're going to do this and this and this and when we're done we'll do a b c d so meaning i'm going to tell you because i am the parent we're going to do these things. And when we're done, then we're going to do these things. And those things, those second things is what the child gets out of it. And then I follow up with, okay. And I usually smile and nod. And the reason I do that is because that's communicating to them. I am not trying to control your every thought and idea and minute, but I do know that there's some things that you don't necessarily know that maybe I've got to take one of the kids to the doctor, or maybe I've got to take some food to grandma, or I've got to do an errand or, you know, something else that they may not know because it's not in their mind, but it's in yours. And so when we start to realize if we just communicate what it is that we need to do, so we're, we're going to get up at seven, we're going to get breakfast by seven 30. We're going to pick up the house for just like 20, 30 minutes. We're going to get, you know, going to run to school or get to school. If you depends on if your children are, um, in school, go away to school or you homeschool them. And then you say, and when we're done with that, then we're going to go to the mall and we're going to go shopping or we're going to go have lunch or we're going to go play, you know, the park and play basketball or whatever it is that they really enjoy doing. Or, hey, then you have the rest of the day to do what you need to do. Okay. And you always say it with that enthusiasm. Okay. You know, we're working together here. The other thing is important, Kelly, is that they need to know their identity is wraps up within the family. I mean, they need to know that they are part of your family. Like my children are now all adults. And like I said, three are married. And they still know, I'll, I'll say to them often, we are, we are the Albers. You know, we, we are the Albers. We're the Albers family. You belong here. All your, all your um, idiosyncrasies, your attitudes, your good days, your bad days, you're still part of this family good, bad, and ugly, you belong here. And when children know that their identity is found within the unit and it's a safe place, then they can trust. They can trust you're leading and you're guiding because you're not trying to push them and drag them certain places. And I don't mean, I don't mean literally, I mean figuratively. Um, But they know that your desire is just to help them on the next step of their journey. And by communicating that we are a team, we're working together, there will be a point in time that you won't be living here. You won't have to, you know, eat breakfast at a certain time, and you're not going to have to eat this for breakfast because you'll be able to go buy your whatever you want. If you want Pop-Tarts every day, you can do that. 
But for right here, for right now, this, you know, we're having, you know, frosted strawberry Pop-Tarts and that's what we're having on Tuesday or we're having popcorn and fruit dinners um, on Friday nights because mom frankly needs a break. When you start to communicate that you, you know, they have needs, they have hopes, they have dreams, they have desires, and they see and they, they can feel that you're considering them as where they are in their season. Um, because every year it's different. Like I, I, we were talking about, um, you know, I've talked about it in the book, but I know you and I were talking prior. There comes a point where most parents can, can identify a turning point in their relationship with that child, whether the child starts having an attitude, gets a little smart mouth or says they do a, did a chore and they didn't really do a chore. And then you caught them. And now you're into this battle because they didn't tell you the truth. And, you know, it just goes on from there, but there's usually a defining moment that we can all kind of go back to. And I wrote about right. this in the book and it was my oldest son. He was 15 years old and I bought him his favorite deck of cards. He was into trading cards at that time. And really we spent all of his budgeted birthday money that my husband and I had set aside for the kids' birthdays on this pack of cards. So I was really hoping we would just get a grand slam card. And after he'd opened all these packs, I just saw this disappointment. And I took it personally and I thought, oh, I got him a bad box. Like it was my fault that I picked the wrong box. And I noticed that's, that was the turning point in his life that I realized something was different. And, and people may think, well, that's not even really a big deal. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You just know when you start seeing things change within your children. And a wise mom and dad pay attention to that stuff and they make note. And then they start to say, okay, now we, we may have we may have to have a different dance here so that we can all still be moving in the same direction. And that's so true because I was telling you before, and it's funny is that it's when I got your book, when I saw the turning point in my older mm -hmm. and it's exactly what you said. I saw it. And, and at first I had so many emotions. I wasn't sure what to do. And, and I'm a big reader when I, I, and like you talk about seasons, I feel like when I get in a new season, it sometimes it takes me a little to adjust, but then I start researching, reading, cause I know I need guidance in my new seasons <laughs> and, and your book was the perfect place to realize, you know, where to push, where to let, you know, step back, what, mm -hmm. you know, what they needed. It, it just, it hits so perfectly, but there was absolutely a turning point to see, um, and we have to see those as parents because we can't just keep going along as we were before. Like we have to, like you said, those words pivot and adjust mm -hmm. and it's okay to change the rules or, or move them a little bit or change some, the boundaries. We I'm have glad to. you said that Kelly. Um, it just triggered a thought. Sometimes parents have asked me, but Connie, you have to be consistent. I am. Yes, I am a hundred percent in agreement. We need to be consistent. The what is consistent? What is constant in a family? Change. The constant is change. Yes. You have human beings with different hopes, dreams, and desires, and you're shaping form and fashioning that child into the person they are supposed to be, not into the person you want them to be, right. or not into the person, your best friend's kids that are so amazing, and you want your kids to be just like those children. Um, you have to shape, form, and fashion those children according to the blueprint on their life because we all have been given unique gifts, strengths, and talents, Kelly. And when we tap into that with our children and they know that we see something in them, maybe they see it, maybe they don't. But when we can start 
articulating what we see in them and giving them a vision of what it could look like, what their future could look like. All of a sudden, we have moved from that ogre parent who does, who is a killjoy and won't let them do everything they want to do on Friday night to this mom who, mom and dad, who gets them. And right. that doesn't mean we're going to be problem free. I wish, you know, that's part yeah. of why I wrote the book. It's, it doesn't mean we don't have rules. It doesn't mean we don't have limits. It's just as they grow, we allow more freedom. With freedom comes responsibility. If you can't handle the responsibility, then I'm sorry, darling. I'm really sorry. I wanted you to be able to do this, but you just can't seem to handle the responsibility. So we're just going to pull back for a little bit. When you think you're, at, you're ready to handle the responsibility, let's try again. You just come let us know. Exactly. Did you see what I just did? Yes. And I, I love didn't, the way you said it. <laughs> I didn't tell them, oh, well, you messed up. And so this is the consequences. And, you know, no, I, I basically shifted it to them. I'm happy to give you all of this. As soon as you can show me you can handle this, we're going to keep going. And I, listen, I understand we all blow it. I understand you had so much fun. You totally forgot about the curfew. And you came in two hours late and you forgot to call me. I get it. So we're just going to postpone this little activity for a bit <laughs> and then we'll right. revisit that. They can't get mad because you throw them off guard. They expect you to be mad and ground them for three months. And the goal is keeping their heart in the process of helping them make and learn how to make wise decisions. So if it's a matter of safety, if it's a matter of personal convictions that are important to your family... Those, those aren't, we don't adjust. We don't become wishy-washy and, okay, well, it's okay to steal today, but not tomorrow. So right. principles aren't negotiable. You know, no, I'm sorry, you can't lie. <laughs> you can't steal. And we expect you to be honest. Those aren't negotiable. Or if you take the, if you take the car, then, and you say you're just going down the road and you decide to go a different way down the road. No, that's not, that's not okay. Because see, I'm trusting you with something that could do great injury to you or others. And again, this is on trust. So I trusted you. You weren't able to handle it this time. So we're going to, we're just not going to be able to do that for a little while until you can show me. You're not proving me. You're just showing me that you can be faithful, that you can be, that you can do what you say you're going to do in the time frame in which you say you're going to do it, and then we're going to move forward. Well, and I like that back to what you said before, the way you are wording it, you're you're giving them con control back. Mm -hmm. Like that you even though you're taking away something they're want, you're giving it back to them to they get to control if they get it again. Yeah. And how they're faithful or how honest or how, you know, they follow the rules, which I, I just I like even how we word things with our kids, it yeah. makes such a difference. Our tone, our wording, and just the conversations. And that's where I find the, the, a lot of the world and the fast pace can take that away, which I'm fortunate, you know, I've homeschooled my kids for so long, but just finding the time mm -hmm. to sit, whether it's a devotion, a conversation, take a walk together and just to talk, to, to have that connection. Yeah. And talk it through makes such a difference, which um, you started to talk about the heart in, in that um, when you were just talking, because you talk a lot about the heart in your book and there. And I know in one part you talk about an ancient proverb and issues, you know, flowing from the heart. Mm -hmm. And I like the way you put that. And I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. You say that um, the boundaries and directions are important, but we have to prioritize their heart. Mm hmm. 
And in another statement, you say that the issues flow from the heart. And I, I love how you go back to the heart because it, it's a big part of it all. Yeah, it really is. I mean, if you win the battle and you lose the, you, you know, if you, if you, if you are not careful with what you say and you end up crushing their spirit mm, and you yes. end up, um, demoralizing them or shaming or guilting them, uh, to get them to do what you want them to do, to comply with your instructions, you create a resentment yes. in them toward you because nobody likes that. And, and you're not treating them the way you would even a friend. Um, you would give a friend, oftentimes we are given more grace than sometimes we do our children. And our children are the ones that we want to do life with. I mean, our friends are great, but you and I both know the older we get, uh, we friends come and friends go and very few do life with us. But right. um, the thing about keeping the heart is so profound because when I talk about relationship in the, con in the context that I mean this is, in the teen years, so often society is telling you that, okay, mom and dad, we'll take it from here. You know, you've got them this far. We're the experts and we, are, their peers are the most important thing. Their friends, the band teacher, oh. the, you know, the coach, uh, they're the ones that, you know, are really pouring into your kids and they'll take it from here. And, and I resist that. Um, yes, they do play a vital role, but parents are the primary influence in their child's life. And if you aren't careful and you damage the relationship, you can't influence them. And so you actually abdicate the greatest role you could have in the season of their life that's most critical, and that's during the teen years. So consider what it is that you're wanting and the requests that you're making and how you're making them, and then look for ways that it can they can feel like they have come to a point of agreement with it and not so dogmatic in do this or else, and, you know, I'm guilty of it. I think that's probably why I can write so many stories in the book. <laughs> I had a lot of practice with, you know, certain kids not getting it right. Um, but when we, our children desire to talk to people and we just look at their cell phones and look at their social media posts. And I want parents to realize they can be that person. That doesn't mean those other people, other influences aren't important because they clearly are, but they're not the most important. And if we work on fostering the, and caring for the heart of the child in the sense of their relationship, their feelings, validate who they are as people and not just children, that they are in a process, they're on a journey, they are a masterpiece in the making, and you help paint those pictures of possibilities before them. Then what you start to see, and I don't know if I'm talking about the right thing here, so you can correct me, but you are, you are, then you can start to see them, all that you've poured into them all these years, it's just been poured into them. Then they have the opportunity, to, you have the privilege of watching it all kind of bubble up and bubble out. And that's why it says out of the heart of, out of the heart flow, out of the mouth flow, the issues of the heart. So what's in there is going to come out. And that's also a good telltale sign that there may be some problems going on when what comes out isn't exactly kind or thoughtful or respectful. There could be some more stirring on stirrings going on in their heart. And I encourage parents get 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 to the heart of the matter. Find out what's going on and ask them. If you ask them, kind of going back to that statement you made about listening, if you ask them with an intent to hear and not as not as an opportunity to fix or correct uh, their their wrong thinking. Um, if you listen intently, 
with a desire to hear, they'll tell you. And when they tell you, just be quiet. Just sit and listen. Yes. Let them get it out. And if you feel like you have just been at wrongly accused, be quiet. Right. Let them talk. And then at the end, say, I think I heard you say this. And then repeat it back. And then start with, did I get that right? Is that what you were trying to say? Don't expect them to get it right the first time because they're awkward with their words. And they're right. also afraid of their words because their words have the opportunity to cause hurt or pain to them. <laughs> they're not necessarily thinking, you know, maybe if I say this, I might hurt my mom's feelings. Some of your children will, but some of them will just not know how to articulate how they feel like you've maybe wronged them, or maybe it has nothing to do with you. And they, they got sarcastic or snotty, you know, smart mouth with you. And you thought it was you, but you didn't take the time to find out something happened after school or in the locker room or with a, one of their best friends or maybe with a teacher. And it's really rocked them and they don't know what to do with it. So they come home and they take it out on the people they feel safest with, which is right. mom and dad or siblings. If we don't stop long enough to get to the why then we react and it pushes them further away. And I'm saying it doesn't have to be that way. And this, uh, I feel like you said so much good stuff, but I feel like, and this, I mean, this is real stuff. Like this is what you deal with as parents. And I find that I think I've improved on this. And I think it's good for parents to hear that even if you do this good one day, you might mess up the next. But I know that I've learned that I just come back to my kid and I say, listen, I'm really sorry I overreacted. I shouldn't have, you know, I should have let you talk first rather than thinking that you did something wrong or, and and you can, I do think there's always that possibility to get back to a better place if you let your guard down and have that conversation with them and let them talk, like you said. And I've gotten to that place with them a few times and it just feels so, like you really feel like you're growing in your relationship when you do let them talk because they're, they're far, they're, I think you said earlier, they're, they're much closer to being an adult now mm -hmm. than they are to being a little person. And I, I say that to them a lot. I said, listen, we're in the stage where you're, you're growing and learning and doing a lot on your own. And I'm here to guide you and help you. And, but you, this is how they grow, right? This mm -hmm. is how they learn. This is how, but you want them to be able to feel like they have a safe place to talk it out mm -hmm. and not be judged or like you, you said in the beginning, you know, not knowing what your reaction is going to be, to be able to be that parent that can listen. I don't know about you, but some of our, uh, well, we've had two places that are like the most pointed places for conversation. That is late at night when the lights are dim. Oh. It's just like, <laughs> you just ask just maybe the right question in the right tone of voice. And all of a sudden, blah, 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 blah. and some of them, they just want to stay up later. But, um, you start getting to these deep conversations and, and I am, I think I'm convinced now because I've, I've, I've just, my own experience plus all the people I, I've had the privilege of talking with, I think it's because they can't see our eyes react <laughs> when they say what they uh, say, yeah, you know, they feel that safety in their bed with the sheet kind of up near their face and, right. you know, th they can't really see our face because usually the light's shining from behind us instead of in our face. And, mm -hmm. um, then they just kind of want to bear their soul with us. Um, and the other place is obviously when we're driving a car 
and we're not actually right. looking at them again. It was just something about those teen years for some children, not all. So it's not a blanket statement. And this is where you really have to know your children. But for some children, they the intense eye contact is too much for them when they're trying to get into a real open, deep, maybe potentially vulnerable place. The yeah, eye contact, oh, it's just hard. And that's okay. That's okay. We don't yeah. have to force them to look in our eyes. Look at me when you're talking to me. Let them look away. And, and maybe even you look away and even maybe look down and or look off in a distance, still listening to them. But give help them figure out how to have in hard conversations or conflict resolution type of conversations. They'll learn how to do it eye to eye, but you have to bring them there slowly. Not all of them, but there are some personality types and some um, conversations that they're going to be uncomfortable having if they were to have just like sitting down at the kitchen table and uh, you know, across from one another. They're just not going to be able to go right. to that level of intimacy or, or uh, open transparency. That's the truth. And they all are different, but you're right. And that's good advice to look away or not always say, you know, think that just because they're looking away that they're being disrespectful. It's probably just sometimes, sometimes it's just hard for them Yeah. because you're talking about something that's vulnerable. You're mm -hmm. right. And I find when you like say the car, it made me think of, um, and I didn't want to get so deep into this, but I think it's such a big thing in, in this world today, you know, the technology, social media phones, but I find that, you know, Kids, you know, they, when I jump in the car to take my kids somewhere, all of a sudden everyone's looking at a phone and I'm like, listen, let's just put the phones away today. Cause I miss so much connection. Like you said, driving down the road and, and it's such a big topic, but like, where, where do you even start? Or do you have anything advice to parents with the phones, the boundaries, all yeah. of that stuff? Um, I'm going to first start off with a very blanket statement because every family is unique and different. Um, I know some families that are, uh, their whole family is just IT uh, oriented. They geek out over technology. And so everybody's on their devices all the time because they're doing research and they're fiddling with sound systems or they're doing computer work. Um, so the first thing is, what, what is acceptable for your family? Uh, that's going to be the most important thing. And then second is, what are you, you and your husband, if you're married, you and your husband needs, need to have an agreement. It doesn't mean that you're going to agree on what's right, what's wrong necessarily, because like, I may be, hey, you know what? Just, I didn't matter to me. Just stay off the sites you shouldn't be staying on and have fun. My husband would be like, no, no, no. You know, they only get X amount of time per day. Uh, and that's it. And and we would have, so, I mean, that what that's a, a made up version of what my husband and I did, but we didn't agree necessarily on time or what they could actually do with their time, but we had to compromise. And then we would agree to respect each other's position on that and not violate or disrespect the spouse by undermining them through, you know, well, I know your dad lets you do that, but <laughs> dad's gone and now it's mom's rules. Right. Um, show respect to the spouse with your kids. If, if, if it's really not working, go to your spouse and talk about it and come up with a new game plan. So that's the second thing. The third thing is have the conversation with that child alone and say, listen, 
we can't play video games for 10 hours. I know it's your favorite thing to do, but we just can't do that. And we want to work together as a family. I, I have a section in the book on family meetings. Uh, we want to, and I think I read about, you know, our first family fail meeting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, we sit down and say, okay, listen, technology is important. Technology is not going away. We want you to be skilled at using technology wisely so that when you turn 18, you don't just go crazy. You know how to control yourself. That process happens between whenever they get their first device or start on the computer to when they leave your home. Say, I think this is reasonable, and these are the time frames, and these are the parameters. And then ask them, what are your thoughts? I, I don't ask them, well, what do you think? Because they're going to think, well, I think it's stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you sit there and you say, so what are your thoughts? And then let them talk and, and listen. And I always would write it down just because I had so many children. Uh, it was hard for me to keep them all straight. So I would have to kind of like write down who said what. And I would just right. write down, all right, this is what he said. This is what he thinks is acceptable. And then my husband and I would chat about it. Or my husband would say, you know, I really don't care. You just do whatever you need to do. And I'm like, okay, that's great with me. And he would back me up in whatever we did. And then I would get, we'd come back together and I'd talk to my son about it. And I said, okay, now this is, this is what we're going to do for now. We're going to do this for this semester or this school year, because every year you have to reevaluate why are they wanting so much time? What are they doing with that time? And then in the book, I talk about teaching your children to have a, create a social, a positive social footprint. See, they want to connect with others. Teach them how to do that in a way that influences their peers or shines a light on a cause that's very important to them or your family or to society. Teach them how to be responsible using it. So that may look like, hey, you know what? If let's just say this is an example, this is not like the the only thing to do, but this is an example. Say, you know what, you can create a Facebook account because you're, you know, XYZ age and you have earned our trust. We haven't really noticed that you're, you know, hiding cell phones under the covers or, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and taking them out of the family safe space. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother conversation. But right. this is just for this particular conversation. And just say, you know what, um, the Pug Society, I know you really love Pugs and it's really important to you or the Red Cross or whatever, you know, it is for them say, you know, let's find some, let's find some groups that have whatever it is that they're really concerned about, whether it's their school or something banned. And let's start learning how you can have a positive impact there. And then also talk to them why they want to have a social, a positive social footprint. And that is because everything they say and do will be used against them in the future. I, I guarantee it's not gone. It doesn't disappear. Snapchat never goes poof and it's over. Um, it's captured, it's stored somewhere, and it always comes back at a certain time. It's normally not a convenient time in somebody's life either. Right. But teaching them that if they use it wisely and responsibly, they could be game world changers, they could be influencers, they could help their peers make a positive difference in somebody else's life. They could shine a light. And what you're doing, Kelly, is you're helping your children realize, I do have a voice. I do have something to say. I, I can help people understand and bring awareness to something that I am passionate about and help that cause. 
And those are key things that we don't often think about in a positive light. We just think about limiting and restricting. And I'm saying you do want to put limits and restrictions, but you also want to, in that time frame, also be teaching them what they can do and then help them learn and leverage that during the teen years. I love that. I remember that part in your book as well. Um, but that's, that's such a good way to look at it. And I think that it can really get kids creative as well to think mm-hmm. about things like that, because they, I think you're right. They probably think they don't have a voice, but they could if they thought about things they were passionate about. Yeah. And if you can get on it ahead of time, you can, and showing them the hidden, I mean, not showing them, but telling them and talking about the hidden dangers and, and what it's doing to some people's lives. I would use other people as examples of, you know, if they probably hadn't posted that they might not have lost their job. Or they might have gotten into that college. Or maybe that coach would have taken a second look at that child, that athlete, your son, your daughter. Maybe they would have looked at them a little more closely when they saw that when you get on these different platforms, you're doing doing good things. You're doing meaningful things. And there's something about doing something meaningful instead of mindless, although sometimes we all need mindless activities. But there's something that happens in our teens that helps them grow up and realize They have a place in society, and you're helping them find out what that place is going to be. Right. I like looking at it that way. You can look at a lot of things that way with them. Mm -hmm. So that's, I I like that because my son and I just talked the other day about purpose and, you know, should I know what I'm already wanting to do? And I think there's a lot of pressure on kids today to know these things, you know, so young and, and then you lose sight of exploring other things because you're trying to find the one thing that is where you're going to go. But I don't want to go down that path. I do want to ask, I do want to ask you though, before I have two more questions and then I want you to, you know, tell us where to find you and real quick, I get so often. And when I said I was starting my podcast and that's why the interviews I'm bringing in are more parenting because that's not really my expertise. I'm a parent. Yes. And I feel like I've learned a lot, but I get parenting questions and um, some of the things the, big, the question I've gotten so often is chores. <laughs> and I have to say, I feel like it, just like you said, and it's true with technology, every family's different, every child's different. But do you have any advice to parents, especially of teenagers? Yes. As how to get them <laughs> to help you with chores? <laughs> well, they don't go on a hiatus just because they turned a teenager. Um, they have been doing probably help around the house since they were itty bitty, making their beds or cleaning up the kitchen, sweeping the floor. And then something happens. All of a sudden they think, well, why do I have to do this? I didn't make that <laughs> mess. <laughs> it's the, I, I, I didn't do that. Make, make, make your, make your, you know, make your daughter do that or make your, you know, make my sister do that. Um, but Yes, specifically, they have to do they have to do they have to do chores, and I would just I I never really use that word. I was just um, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it, but I always used to say, you know, there's work that has to be done. Dad has to do work. I have to do work. Somebody's going to that grocery store, and it's not you. And somebody's getting the money to go to the grocery store, and it isn't you. But you're consuming all of the benefits of somebody being faithful to go grocery shopping, and somebody being faithful to go you know, to work or somebody being faithful to cook it because it's not you. And this is a family. And so pain, again, it's that whole, we're building a team. We're, we're a family and we're doing life together. And this is what you're doing. 
that is appropriate for your age at your level with your responsibility and your maturity level. And it changes. And I, I mean, I, it changed every year, Kelly. And I guess that's what I want parents to realize is you're going to grow and your family's going to adjust and change. And so some years I would have a structured chore chart up on the fridge. You know, it had every child's name on it and exactly what they were to do. And of course, parents, um, you need to realize your children do what you inspect, not what you do, what you expect. And you just have to know that. I mean, kids, unfortunately, during the teen years, they have other things that are way more important than making that bed or folding right. those la- or folding those the laundry and putting it away. For them, for many of them, just leaving them in the laundry basket is good enough um, because it's just going to be dirty again. So just leave it, leave it like that. Well, the short answer is decide what your family and each member of your family is going to do. Talk about why they're doing it, the expectations of them doing it, and then you have to inspect. So if they said they washed the dishes, there's nothing wrong with going, not with a white glove, but just did they wash the dishes or did they bail out? Do they have to go to the bathroom after, you know, it's funny. Some kids have to go to the bathroom right after dinner and then they're there until dishes are clean. And then all of a sudden they <laughs> emerge again. It's like, we know all the tricks are pulling. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> That's funny. But, but it's the mindset of you're not, you're a part of a family. It goes back to our conversation earlier. They're part of a family and this is what we do. And because we are part of a family, if you don't do your part, then everybody else has to either suffer or pick up the slack. And if it were the other way around, how would you feel about that? You would kind of get a little resentful if everybody else was not doing something and we were just kind of sitting there watching you do it. So they have to have it. It teaches life skills. It teaches important um, hygiene and cleanliness and standards. And they will wax and wane. I think that's the one thing parents right. need to realize. I was just thinking that. They will wax and wane. They will get very preoccupied with their future, their their mind. You know, they'll get caught up in their mind and th- thoughts and all that they have to do and the pressures of who's talking about them and who's not being nice or, you know, meeting a teacher's needs or, you know, in a sense of, you know, trying to figure out how to get an A on that test when the teacher isn't helping them. They can get so distracted with the cares of life that they forget how important it is to clean or sweep or mop the floor or, you know, mow the yard. But they have to know it's important to the health and the well-being and the functionality of a family. So whether you move, and I talk about this in the book, you know, whether you have it on a chart and they have to check it off, or like my daughter would say, mom, I just, you did that chore chart when I was little and I'm just big now. I'm like, oh, you are. And she's like, yes, I think I've grown out of that. And I'm like, really? Okay. I will take your name off the chore chart. And I did. I said, you know what you have to do? Yes, mom, I know what I have to do. Okay, great. I knew what she had to do too. So I would just kind of follow up behind her. Day one didn't get done. Day two didn't get done. Day three, day four. I usually gave it a week before I said anything. Because sometimes they would get distracted and then they would, oh man, I forgot to do that. And they're scurrying around trying to get caught back up. Sometimes they just truly forget. And then they need some gentle reminders. Hey, I know you've been really busy, but see, um, I've also noticed you say you're doing something, but you're not really doing it. Is there something going on? Are you having trouble with something? Do you feel like the workload around here is just too much? 
<laughs> you know, I'm going to ask you to do is like pick up your clothes and make the bed. Is that just a little too hard for you? <laughs> I know. And I think what, like everything you've said, there's seasons. Um, you know, sometimes they're really good at it. And I think he was good at this and now they're not doing this. Does it keep for you? It's just, it's always a work in progress. It we is. Parents need to know that, that there's nothing wrong with us as to why our kid isn't jumping out of bed and making it and running to do the chores every morning. Like it's, it's normal, but I, I love the conversation of we're doing life together. Yeah. We are a family. We are a team. Because I feel that all of that, especially as they, I mean, even when they're little, but especially as they get older, you know, they're, they're humans, they're people, yeah. they're, they're, they're becoming their own person. And all of this just helps them feel like you said, they belong, helps you connect to them, even if they act like they don't like it. And let me give just some doing hope. life together as a team. Yeah, I, I know we're 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 wrapping it up, but I just want yes. to give you this this hope here, um, mom and dads, as you're listening. You know, you may really it's, it may be extremely important to you that your beds get made every day at a certain time, and that just may be something that you have instilled in those children. And teen years, they may start not doing it quite as well, and you'll have to say, "Is this a deal breaker? Is it really? Is it really a deal breaker?" Here's the thing. Tell your children, you know, when you move out, at whatever point that is, you don't have to make your bed at all. You don't even have to put sheets on it if you don't want. And you don't have to mop your floor or dust or do any of those things. You can even wear dirty clothes for as long as you want until somebody can't stand you. That will be your choice. But while you're here, this is how, this is the whole thing. This is how we do life together. And then... When they grow up, here's the cool thing. Even though they struggle with you in those latter teen years, a lot of them, when they move out, and this is firsthand experience, those slobs, because you know some of your kids are slobs, mine were, some of mine were, um, all of a sudden they become neat freaks. And it's amazing because they move out and they have their own place that they are actually paying for. And all the, those wonderful things like how to clean a toilet and how to you know store and prepare food. All of that just miraculously comes back and they maintain the most wonderful homes. They may or may not make their bed, but everything that you've taught them, they're utilizing in their adult life. I love that. So don't give up. Don't keep no. doing what we're doing and, and just keep, keep, it's keep constantly revolving back mm -hmm. to the same things and it will be worth it one day. Can I ask you before you say where you're, where we find you, what I like to ask, what do you do for yourself each day for self care? Is there one thing that's most important to you as a mom? Yeah, I I get up usually before the kids get up, and this was always, and I would have time. I would just have personal time of reading. Sometimes I would be, I would have a devotion and I would read scripture. Sometimes I would be reading a book or a devotion or some of some sort, and I would journal. And I would just tell the Lord what was on my heart, uh, what what I thought needed to be paid attention to, and what I was struggling with. And the other thing that I did did two things. And the other thing I did was I made time for some form of exercise every single day. Wonderful. Self-care is so important. And I think we can't do any of these things we talk about if we're not taking care of ourselves. Can't pour from an empty pitcher. Empty no. pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. So... Connie, what is the best place? Where can people find you, your book, your podcast? Yeah, well, thank you so much. You can find the podcast, Equipped to Be. It's on basically all the um, 
Apple and Spotify and all the Stitchers, and I mean Stitcher, uh, you can find me at ConnieAubers.com on social media. It's ConnieAubers.author on Facebook and ConnieAubers on Instagram. And so I'm pretty much on all the social media platforms. I'd love to connect with you. Um, so shoot me an email. Let me know what you thought about this. Our segment, Kelly, thank you for having me on. I know we went a little over, so bless your heart. And you audience, I, thank you for um, hanging in there with us. Well, you have such such good things that you're talking about. And I want everyone to know that not only do you, do you have the book um, that you said, the parenting beyond the rules, but you also do a lot of speaking as well, too. I right? do. Mm-hmm. Which I speak is, across um, the country. That's wonderful. So thank you, Connie, so much for your time. And thank you for staying here a little bit longer than we had talked, but I appreciate all of your wisdom today for the listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate you sharing this time with me today. I am grateful you are here. And if you have anyone that you feel could also benefit from this encouragement, please share it with them today. You can also add a quick review on iTunes, which would mean the world to me and help me just to make this better for each and every one of you out there. I will be here each week, so please be sure to subscribe to the podcast or join me at kellyrenato.com to get the latest episode and more tools to help you on your journey to feel your best and enjoy every single day exactly where you are. I would love to have you join my journey and let's all add good, healthy vibes anywhere we can every single day. Enjoy your week and embrace the season you're in. And I look forward to next week. Take care. Bye-bye.